Hey, everybody. I'm here with uh, my friends, Art Brown. Uh, Art Hello. is an assistant. Yeah, hey, uh, Art is an, a, is an assistant professor of communications at Milligan College. And Art, I, I know we met at a conference. Was it UCDA? Yeah. Uh, it was UCDA uh, when it was in Youngstown. That's right. You came to Youngstown. Okay, awesome. Uh, yeah, so that, that story I told you before the recording has some special context to it right. since you had been there. Okay, cool. Well, um, you, you came to our town last summer? uh for the ucda but i was out of town and so that's I, right well you knew i was coming and you decided to be like i'm gone yeah, i'm not I'm, dealing I'm, with, I'm not dealing with him again <laughs> <laughs> well uh thanks for thanks for taking the time to uh to chat with me i'm really interested in getting a sense of of your background and and what you're doing uh okay. in design so uh let's start there how in the hell did you get started in all of this what was oh, that man. What was that launching point when you real that that you realized I have to be a designer or I have yeah. to be creating something? What was that moment for you? Um, I was fortunate enough as a little kid to have a lot of support. Um, I was really, really into comic books. I would say I learned to read from reading the Fantastic Four back in the seventies, and then Spider Man. Yeah, and then learned to draw probably from Spider-Man and the X-Men in the early 80s. And um, and around that time, was, my mom was trying to make me take piano lessons, and I tried to broker a deal. I was like, can I take drawing lessons instead? And mm -hmm. she said, sure. Like, if you take drawing lessons, you don't have to take piano. And I knew I wanted to do something visually. Even looking back, I was really attracted to package designs, whether it was cereal or ICs or type on certain types of cups for a restaurant. Right. I was just really interested in it. And, um, and so I took drawing lessons and then I was fortunate enough to go to a high school, take our classes there and then get to go to a fine arts high school half a day. And I was able to make, to take what was then labeled a commercial art course. And this was before computers were really in the classroom, believe it or not. Um, and so we, I did a lot of drawing with, with a r really with a commercial edge to it, but we just did a lot of drawing for about three hours a day. And that was, that was great. And, um, and I knew I wanted to do something art related in the back of my head is like, I wonder if I can be a comic book artist, but I quickly learned I don't work fast enough. And, uh, that's just sort of. It's just one of those things I'm probably not going to get a chance to do, especially not being in New York or being with being networked with certain people. And that wasn't realistic. And so I was an art major at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina um, uh, for one year. And then I met my, my future wife there, ran off and got married at 19 and then um, had a kid at 21. And so here I am, a sophomore in college, trying to figure out, okay, I've got to work. I have to sort things out. And so we both ended up at East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee. And, um, and so I was one of those students that, well, I was one of those students that I worked 40 hours a week and went to school full time and did all of my classwork and any, any sort of assignments that happened between midnight and about 3 AM. And then I hit it all again the next day. 
And so I didn't sleep for about four or five years. Yeah, if it wasn't the homework keeping you up, it was definitely the kid. Yeah, exactly. And and so um, my, I was still wondering, it's like, what am I going to do? I have to be able to make money. I, I want to do something with the arts, but I was having to look at other situations too. And uh, about that time, I took my first required graphic design course at ETSU in spring of 1991. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, we had, I believe, six Mac cl- classics and then two other computers with color monitors. And as, as soon as I took that class, I was like, okay, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. At that same time, I also got a job working at, back then it was Kinko's Copy Center, but we know it as FedEx office now. But that allowed me to have access to equipment and mm-hmm. color printers and just to understand at least the printing process and to understand um, digital design a lot more even though it was very low end it was a kinko's but still right. it, was, it was a chance to be around that industry even though it's sort of this vendor in a vendor capacity i guess right and uh so i finally managed to be get out of school in the fall of 95 i had an internship in the next month and then i got my first full-time job that started in march of the next year uh, working for a small agency that was growing really, really fast. And uh, they, they did a lot of work with healthcare, tourism, later a NASCAR speedway. Um, and then that, that grew into a lot of other things. And so that started my agency design life that lasted for about 14 years. And it, the weird thing about that was that I worked for the same, I worked in the same building uh, for three different agencies, believe it or not. I just, every time I started looking <laughs> around for different agencies and started looking to other job prospects, we would get bought out or merged with somebody else. It's like, you know what, I'm going to see, see how this goes. Right. And, uh, and it was a good thing. And about that time, especially during the last buyout, my son was starting high school. It's like, I need something very stable because I have to think about him going to college in about four years. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, work and or family very much affected my work at the time. And, um, looking back, yeah, I probably didn't get, get to take as many risks as I could have, but I had to you know, do what I could at the time. So that was my agency life, I guess, until the economic downturn of 2008. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, around that time, my clients were tourism for the most part for Northeast Tennessee, South, Southwest Virginia. So mountains, music, and nobody was, yeah. (laughs) And uh, nobody was spending money. Therefore the tax revenue was not coming, coming in. And therefore my tourism clients, that business dried up. And so uh, I, at the time that last buyout was an agency out of Knoxville, Tennessee that had bought our office because we were competing with them. And so they bought us. And, um, and so that was when I was still working part-time for them. I was having to suddenly freelance after being really not having many side side gigs because I had agency life and then a family life. And suddenly I was on my own trying to figure things out and which I really had not been doing. It's like, well, things are stable. I don't have to freelance that much. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so suddenly I was, and around that time, just in a region, a small region, especially in our market, you have a lot of businesses that don't value design anyway. And then suddenly when funds are low, they definitely don't, <laughs> don't value it then. And then all of the agencies that there was no freelance agency work to be had because everybody was circling the wagons, just trying to hold their own. So they didn't have to let people go. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was, it was interesting. It was, um, I did, I think it might have been your phrase in another interview or something. I did a lot of horrible logos for horrible people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I say that a lot. <laughs> I, uh, I, I ran into that myself, and um, I think some of them still owe me some money, too, mm-hmm. <laughs> looking back at it. Uh, I'm still bitter about that, but yeah. Um, you yeah. always will remember the people that don't pay you back, oh, always. Yeah. yeah. And so... Um, so to go back backward just a little bit before the last buyout and and before the economic downturn, I had taught my wife and, and I teach at the same college, and she's a chair of the music department, and uh, she introduced me to the chair over the performing arts and communications, um, and and I met her back in two thousand four. And she says, I'm thinking about adding graphic design to our comm department. Are you interested? And, and um, I said, yeah. And so we met, talked about what courses would need to be offered. And this is 2004. Right. Uh, and I, and to sort of go along with that, I had met at ETSU just to see with my former professors there, just to see how can I get into grad school and get credentials to teach? Can I start that yeah. process? Sadly, right after that meeting, I got a call from my boss. Um, they, she said, I need to meet you downtown. And just said, by the way, you're now creative director. We just fired our other partners in the business. Um, you're now in charge of the creative department. So that put things on hold another five years. Wow, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, during that time, I was working for a large agency based out of Knoxville. I had some of my best projects there. Mm. One of, I always tell my students my favorite projects and least favorite. Uh, this one was for Buena Vista Home Entertainment, AKA Disney. And it yeah. was for the European DVD release of, I think it was Sleeping Beauty and 101 Dalmatians. And so we were hired to come up with these crazy promotion ideas that would happen in Europe. It made it through about four management levels. And then for the last level, they decided, nah, we're gonna save money. We're just, we'll just use, we'll just use key art. And it's like, oh. <laughs> but it was the best project I ever worked on because I was, I'm getting to watch animated films for work and I'm getting right. to analyze those and base my co- design concept concepts based on sleeping beauty's dress or the puppies from 101 Dalmatians. And so, yeah, by the way, least favorite project was observing an open heart surgery before the cardio surgeons would take part in the campaign. We were trying to shoot that day at a hospital. <laughs> oh yeah, that was, you bad. had to watch it. Oh yeah, it was like Kramer and Seinfeld, the episode with the Junior Mints. Yeah, so if if you ever so for everyone out there, if you have to have surgery, check those forms, and there's that section about photographing and marketing. Yeah, make sure you put a big X through that because that yeah. that was creepy for me. I didn't like it. I yeah. So basically, I had to look down into an old man's chest cavity as he was having 
open heart surgery. So I use that as a horror tale to my students. Wow. Yeah. I think I want that experience. <laughs> no, no, no. No. I don't know. It's got it. I don't, it's appealing to me. I don't know. It's very McCullough. Oh. But, uh, <laughs> you can prepare yourself for the visuals. You cannot prepare yourself for the smells. That's all I will say. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's the smell. Interesting. Yeah. So there's yeah. some other sensory experiences yeah. related to that. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. So um, during the economic downturn, I was freelancing. I was working part-time at that same agency. I did work half a day. Uh, that was difficult because you can't really execute a campaign and turn in and really get it done in a decent, right? In a in a quick manner by only working half a day, and so that was it was causing problems. It's like incremental progress. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I'm suddenly working, you know, much slower than everyone else, and it was. It was for a bank client and uh, we were needing to execute this thing. So like, well, either give me extra hours to work on it or you're going to have to slow down the, or we're going to have to change the timeline or, and right. so, but around that time I got offered a chance to teach um, that same department chair based on just my work experience. At that point it was 14 or 15 years. She said, if we, if you, if we, if you're cross listed with me, I can, I can let you teach in design because we haven't taught this course in three years. We have to offer it now for our seniors. Can you come, come teach the class? I said, sure. It's like, and, and so that was my first time teaching. I was teaching in design. I think it was uh, CS3. Um, I remember really, that one. Yeah. And during, I'd already started the application for grad school that previous fall. It's just like, I'm not really liking freelance. Maybe this is the perfect chance to go back to school anyway. And, um, I can at least get some full, a full-time year in before I start working again. And that's really what I did. I, it took me four and a half years to get through a three-year program in grad school. Uh, cause I was also started working full-time again at the same time. And I, um, but was beginning to teach and then I was able to be a uh, teaching assistant in grad school as well. So a teaching grad assistant assistant at ETSU, I was teaching just the basic intro to graphic design. This is Photoshop. This is illustrator uh, class. And that's where you got your MFA. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so I eventually I got my MFA there and uh, have been, I had also been adjuncting at Milligan at the same time. Um, I was in grad school. And at that same time, a job opening came open at Milligan in their PR marketing office. So I worked part-time as a in-house designer for Milligan College, was adjuncting there and teaching at ETSU and was a full-time grad student at the same time. busy. <laughs> and, and trying to freelance, but eventually I, I had to give my clients for freelance work away. I knew yeah. somebody that would take care of them. It's like, I can't devote the time uh, and I'm trying to go to grad school to get my MFA so I can teach. Right. And I need to pass you guys to this person. He will take good care of you. And that's, that's what I ended up doing. Quite the long and winding road to, yeah. uh, to your present yeah. position, right? Yeah. And so eventually during that time I was adjuncting, I actually developed a graphic design minor. We have, still have a major and minor system at Milligan. 
Uh, we're a small liberal arts college, and so we have majors and minors, and we developed a graphic design minor, and then the interest in that was high. So we developed a graphic design major that I got to build, and it sort of lives within, within the communications department. And I've been teaching full-time at Milligan since fall of 2016. Cool. That's great. Uh, I love your story. I mean, it, you've got, it, it's, it's layered. You've got a lot going on. But oh. I think the, the thing that resonates with me is that you were able to practice yeah. while learning yes. and teaching. Yes. And your entire world at that point was designed in one mm -hmm. way or another. Um, so you were fully immersive and out of curiosity, do you feel like at that point in time, like, did you feel like you were at like the top of your game? Like, uh, no, I had no, lost, not at all. I'll, I'll be honest. I had lost so much sleep that, yeah. um, I, I was, I was kind of struggling and it okay. did affect sort of the direction I took in grad school for my graphic design MFA, believe it or not. But I was, but it took, I, I'll be honest, after my agency experience, I was a little bit burned out. Yeah. I, um, okay. the end of that was not a good experience. And uh, it took teaching design to sort of rekindle my love for design at that point. Mm -hmm. and then once I was able to sort of get my head around that, and then teach more, then I was able to go back and design more effectively. I think Yeah. that, but yeah, um, it, it was immersive and, but probably way too many hours of the day. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, for your students are certainly benefiting from your lack of sleep, at least at oh, yeah. that time, because, <laughs> and, and, you know, I don't know if your experiences differ here, but one of the things that I've been, I've found throughout my teaching background is that the, the students are getting enough practice work in the classroom. They're getting the philosophy, they're getting the principles, the ideologies, et cetera. Um, but they're coming up short on research. Um, and then also the, the practical side of things. So, right. you know, you're bringing a, a career's worth of practical wisdom and knowledge to the classroom and your students are going to be more prepared to graduate and then enter and transition into the industry yes. uh, smooth, smoothly because of your experience um, or even transition smoothly into like a freelancing gig. And maybe someday they decide to start their own practice. Yeah. Um, I found that, you know, a lot of design professors, they take themselves out of practice completely and they'll do like one project a year. Um, and I'm at that point where it's like, I can't imagine not doing less than 10 projects a year. Like I have to keep producing uh, for the benefit of my students. Yeah. So where, where do you stand on that? Where do you think, uh, where, where are the gaps in, in design ed right now? Oh, I know. I, I also... Thankfully I, thankfully, I still have a lot of contacts in, in our market, and I, I maintain those through the AAF and now AIGA, uh, and I keep looking for new opportunities constantly uh, for my students. And, but I think a lot of them just say, you know, we expect the software knowledge, that's a given, 
We yeah. want students to understand yeah, that we're hiring them to come up with ideas. We want to know how well they they can. We want to have confidence they can work with some of our some of our clients. And then they just they just really want students to they they see the gap and either from nearby schools and they they came to me it's like while you're rebuilding your department please keep this in mind because we would like to offer some internships or something because we just want your students to have more and a better idea of the business when they leave so they don't have to go through that weird first year transition of uh, designer just really not understanding that it's the client that pays the bills not understanding how a design concept turns into a campaign, a marketing campaign. And it's having that sort of that business savvy approach is they just say that's sometimes missing in our region mm-hmm. and from students that are just graduating. So they wanted more. And so I'm packing more of that and just, it, it affects sort of how I teach. Yeah. And, um, and I can, and I yet, like you mentioned, I can always give them sort of an insight of this is what's going to happen after you graduate, and and so your whether it's your first job, because I used to be in charge of hiring somebody and right. can assess a portfolio very quickly. And I said in a minute they're going to, in less than a minute they can assess if you have the software skills, right? And if you can get your attention with portfolio, get their attention with portfolio pieces then you can talk about your ideas and then that's when the real interview starts. And, and so, yeah, that's sort of, I think I meandered there, but that's okay. That's okay. Because we're going to meander into a different uh, aspect of the conversation. Um, I'm interested in learning about your experiences with uh, self-isolation because of the coronavirus and how, how is that affecting not just your teaching, but your actual design? Like if you're designing something right now, mm-hmm. how is that affecting the quality of your work? And okay. then also the same questions, but from the, the side of your students, how are they reacting to this? How are they coping? Um, I will say up front that I am also one of those professors that does less design work, but I sort of went into a side tangent where my design or my illustrations and design turned it into more fine art. Mm-hmm. And so that in the academic world, that just counts as creative activity toward, uh, towards your tenure book and your, your scholarship. Right. And so I've had more success with that. And it also, when I stopped designing professionally, I was in a small market and I was really bound by a lot of non-compete clauses we had I had clients that wanted to work with me, but because they still had a credit with agencies I used to work for, they would prepay a whole year ahead of time. And so they would have a $5,000 balance with a, a nearby Fortune 500, 500 company. Sure. Who I, they wanted to work with me. I wanted to work with them. But if I worked with them, I was going to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I stopped doing a lot after I started teaching especially just because the relationships I had, I couldn't push forward with those. And um, so my work, this was also my grad school direction as well, because I was working full time and had to um, do something different than sit at a computer for another eight hours a day. And so I started doing a lot of letterpress printing 
a lot of more illustration, a lot of linoleum cuts, and then turning those right. into more political illustrations. That's what I end up doing on my own. Uh, just instead of, I do some design work still, just not as much and push forward because it ends up sort of counting as graphic design history for okay. what I, I also teach that course as well. So it helps inform my teaching, just going through a different process, but it's sort of a sidetrack to commercial graphic design. But so it hasn't affected my design work that much, just being stuck at home. Um, teaching to me, it slows things down because I can assess from the back of the classroom, looking at the computer monitors, just walking up the aisle, the rows in the lab. I can figure out where every, everybody who's, who's working yep. hard, who is slacking, who's having trouble. And I can figure that out in a minute. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it really bothers me that now I have students, there are students that keep in touch with me. I have, I offer zoom meetings. I, I record videos with, I have a module just for answers to questions for every <laughs> I record videos saying, okay, now this is how you use the type on a path tool in InDesign. I had a mm. student ask me that, uh, and this is how you do it. And so I record a lot of those during the day. I, um, I have, meetings via Zoom with students. And then I have that section of students that just has disappeared. I have check-in dates for the project. They'll send something in, but their progress really isn't that good. I've right. had to adjust deadlines because I had to wait on the college to mail laptops to a few students. Um, then I have some students that are home insecure right now. Um, right. I had a particular student that I worry about, but I can't do anything about it. Um, mm -hmm. They choose not to take advantage of the counseling center that's even online at school. And I believe they were in the process of coming out right around the time they got sent back home and it did not go over well with their family. So I have a really, a few really good design students that are, are struggling at the same time. And so between that adjusting deadlines and just trying to get the seniors in a place where they're ready to graduate. I have a student in the middle of doing research right now and getting ready to give a research presentation online about Bauhaus. And, yeah. and they'll trying to explain Bauhaus in 15 minutes <laughs> or less. Uh, yeah, not, good luck. Yeah, that's, that's not an easy thing. Um, and so it, it has been a challenge and students are just, worried because suddenly we had the American Advertising Awards on February 29th. Uh, my students won awards. Agencies were there actively making contact and say, hey, we're going to get in touch with you. We want to interview you. Then suddenly uh, everyone was sequestered and yeah. stuck at home. And so suddenly a promising, aggressive hiring from agencies and a really a good market locally has come to a halt. And so I now have students like I sent them my portfolio, but I haven't heard back. What do I do? And, uh, and so I'm, I'm still, we're still trying to think through that. I've offered them just really offer to be a part of a solution is the best yep. way. Um, say, you know, I know we were talking before, I know the hiring situation has probably changed, especially with client work. But if I need to draw pads around photos or if I need to resize ads, I'm available. 
I want to learn and I want to be a part of your company and I'm ready to work. I'm set up at home. I can also do photography, <laughs> you know, right. It's, like, it's offer to be a part of a solution, but not, but you're also at the same time, not trying to annoy them. And so, right. and so that's where it's really gotten weird for my seniors. It bothers me a lot that these are seniors that have worked hard. They've done everything they they're supposed to have done. They were on the, on the brink of getting hired and mm-hmm. having that interview. The bottom was pulled out from under them. Yeah. And yeah. It, it's just disappeared now. And it's just radio silence from agencies yeah. at this point. I, I, I'm on the education board for the AAF and we're trying to set up our online portfolio review. It's an event that originally I would have hosted this past Tuesday evening. And now we're trying to figure out how do we turn this into a Zoom interview with a list of people who are participating. But still, for a student, that just sucks. <laughs> it yeah. just it's, You don't get that in person. Even though it's a speed dating type of interview situation, you don't get to make that contact. They don't get right. that really good first impression from meeting them in person. And it's, it's unfortunate. It makes me a little bit mad. Um, I'm upset about it. And so... Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I empathize with that and, you know, it's similar with my students, you know, that it feels like one great big false start. Yeah. Um, they're ready to go and then the bottom falls out and they don't know what to do, where to go, etc. And I think your advice that the advice that you're giving your students, just being a part of the solution is really quite apt. And the best thing that you can say, because there's any number of different ways to provide a solution Mm-hmm. don't necessarily have to be in person to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to tell my students that like, Hey, you know, you're not, you're not able to meet some of these people in person, but if you have the, the means and the motivation, um, you can still progress your career forward, get involved in, find some problems, right. you know, like willingly get involved in, some problems and, and provide those solutions, be it pro bono or, you know, nonprofits would especially love help right now, especially on the marketing and comms side. You know, they absolutely need help in getting their, their programs out. For example, you know, I was on a Zoom call with uh, a colleague who just lives down the road from me. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh yeah, you know, the doorbell rang and food was here. So basically the local church is providing food for, you know, 3,000 people. She's like, wow. oh, I didn't even know about that. And I'm thinking like, probably because the church doesn't have a comms person to really promote this. So yeah. how much food are they really wasting? Yeah. You know? So that, uh, and you know, in situations like that, especially for the students, it actually gives them a great deal of self-worth and, yeah. and, and value to be able to solve complex problems like that, that they didn't think design could necessarily do. Yeah. And my other advice for them is, you know, yes, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to adapt quickly. If there's something you feel you're weak at, fill in that gap and take this time to learn. And most of all, be visible. Uh, Network, even though, yes, we're not having in-person meetings, uh, the AAF will be doing some things locally. Uh, thankfully, there is a new chapter for the AIGA in Asheville, North Carolina, which is about an hour from our campus across the state line. Mm-hmm. They are also very active, and um, 
the other the other chapter is in Knoxville, which is about two hours from our campus, and so it's um, just be visible, make make those contacts any way you can. I always tell them, for lack of a better word, stalk these companies on social media, whether it's LinkedIn, yep. or Facebook, or Twitter, or whatever. Know what they're doing. Know who the players are, and and make those contacts as you can. Yep. Um, Absolutely. But be uh, well, in the community and show what be able to show something you're doing. It, without yeah, perfect. You can still be visible and still be present, mm -hmm. just not literally. Um, right. and you know, really if it, and that's an easy thing to say, obviously, you know, how some people are dealing with, uh, or coping with having to be inside and self-isolating, you know, can be a, a challenge to that. Um, but like I said earlier, if you have the means and the motivation to sort of be more extroverted and put yourself out there, um, you'll see some return on that. Um, yeah. but you know, it's hard. So, um, I wanted to, I just had like a, one last question for you. I wanted to talk about comic books. So, uh, you strike me as a Marvel guy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, as am I that, Hey, I complete love for DC, but I'm a Marvel guy through and through. Um, so let's nerd out a little bit. Uh, are you, what books are you reading right now? If any, um, I'm not reading any current work. Okay. Uh, I recently went back and bought reprints of all of uh, Walter Simonson's Thor run from the 80s. Mm -hmm. I also, I was a big fan of um, the X-Men in the early 80s. Claremont? Uh, uh, Claremont, Claremont X-Men? My favorite was uh, Paul Smith mm -hmm. uh, and then John Romita Jr., yeah. And then it just sort of got weird after that. The writing just took a nosedive after that run. The 90s hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was yeah. this, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, and I, I know what you're saying. I can't articulate yeah. it, but Days of Future Past is certainly within your, your interest yes. area. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, Claremont and Byrne run for the X-Men the run of Spider-Man around that time was also really good. Uh, you also had John Byrne on Fantastic Four, and you had Simonson on Thor. And I think a lot of those those runs still hold up. So I find myself just going back and especially, I think, uh, even though I didn't read them at the time in the 80s, I went back and read the Thor stuff. And other than a few pop culture-y things that are inserted, it holds up pretty well. And uh, so I completely nerd out on old comics podcasts yeah. And uh, it's something to listen to while I work. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, so I, I cut my teeth on comics in, in the 90s, right? Oh, so yeah. X-Men, uh, well, first off, Spider-Man is without a doubt the end all be all best superhero for me. Like I'll yeah. always be a diehard Spider-Man fan. But I was a big uh, Cap guy as well. So, you know, the, the non-X-Men heroes was, mm -hmm. they were really uh, my sweet spot. Um, but uh, I was a huge fan of all the toys. I think I had mm -hmm. everything. Um, you know, the 90s was great for comic properties, you know, uh, especially the toys. Um, I remember going into stores back then because my son would have been like two, three, four. We would go into the toy stores just like, I would see the X-Men toys or the Spider-Man toys off to the side. It's like, 
Yeah. And I wish we would have had those when I was a kid. Where, where was yeah, those? right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, you probably had, if anything, those, uh, very unposable Marvel Secret Wars, uh, around, they would have come out when I was around in seventh grade, so I wasn't buying them that much. You had the Mago, the Magos, too. Yeah. Yeah. Those would not withstand play. No. Uh, I just remember throwing my Spider-Man up in the air, he landed on the sidewalk and just blew into a million pieces. And so all I le- had left was a little Spider-Man suit with one arm hanging out of it. So <laughs> I was like, okay, well that, and thankfully Star Wars happened. Yes. So. Well, the, the one thing I wanted to tell you is that even though like I'm a total nineties kid, when it comes to comics, mm-hmm. my favorite artists, uh, I mean, John Buscema, uh, Jack Kirby. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even Stanley's writing uh back in the day like in the in those 60s comic books yeah. was just really awesome. I I I bought um uh Stanley uh John Buscema uh Silver Surfer trade mm-hmm. paperback. And I, one of the things I liked about the Silver Surfer is just how eloquent he was. Like you could tell like that is Stan actually just writing poetry. Yeah. Uh so I I find myself going back and looking at a lot of uh, Bill Sienkiewicz's work from New Mutants in the 80s. Because yeah. that was my first, that could be, you know, safely I could say that was my first introduction to any sort of expressionism or even abstract art. I was trying to dig through an X-Men related comic that was painted and weird. The characters were distorted. It was pretty much Egon Schiele uh, yeah. in comic book form. And that was my first uh, introduction to any, really any sort of abstract art. And uh, it made a big impression. I even find my artwork now, I'd say Sienkiewicz's version of Warlock, which is this, mm-hmm. this morphing mechanical character, has worked its way into my artwork and still comes out in my artwork now, even though it was something that got burned into my brain in the fall of 1984. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's all still in my head. Awesome. Well, Art, this has been great. Uh, I really appreciate your, your insights and and your, you know, your, your knowledge on the subject and and exploring some of your history. And of course, talking about comic books, which I think we, I think we could do all day. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Thanks again. And um, stay safe out there. Oh, you too. Thank you.